Good morning. Good morning. Wow, awesome worship songs. A lot of good truth there. Some of the things we're going to actually be talking on today, and it's really good to hear them sung out so loudly. I'd like to welcome everyone here this morning, and especially those of you who are joining on live stream. It's really good to be here. Um, my name is Randy Trigger. I'm a member of the teaching team. I'm a new pastor elder here at Lakeside. We're currently working through a four-week service uh, series where we're looking at the things that we do at Lakeside. Uh, we're covering the four areas that guide our ministry. There's connect, grow, serve, and show. Uh, last week, Nate talked about connect, and this week I'm going to be jumping in, and we're going to be talking about grow. Last week, my wife and I, or last year, my wife and I, went and saw the movie American Underdog. Uh, it's the story of uh, Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner. As the movie begins, we see uh, Kurt as a young child. He's in the backyard and he's playing football. And he's dreaming of throwing the winning uh, touchdown in the Super Bowl. Well, that's an awesome dream. But you know that it's going to take a lot of work, talent, growth, coaching, help, and quite frankly, um, uh, timing to make it work. As his story unfolds, we get to see areas where Kurt has to grow, places where he struggles, and he has to, he has to keep working at something until he can get it right. He almost didn't even make it as a starting quarterback at the college level. He was at the University of Northern Iowa. He couldn't convince the coach to let him be the starting quarterback. The problem wasn't Kurt's talent. He had plenty of talent. His problem is that he would not listen to his coach's instructions. You see, football is one team sport that is really intensely um, in complex. Each team has 11 players on the field for every single play. And each of these players has a job to do. The coaches design plays that require those players to do one job and to do it correctly. As a quarterback on a passing play, Kurt's job was to receive the football, stay in the pocket, and then throw the football to another teammate. And all of this is happening. The other team is trying to get to Kurt to tackle him to the ground or to disrupt his throw. And all of the synchronization, it's all happening in usually about three or four seconds. You can see on the graphic there that um, it's a little small, but the guy at the back that's standing on the X on the field, he's the quarterback. And those five guys that are forming a semicircle, those are his teammates, and they're forming the pocket. Kurt's job is to stay in that pocket. The problem is that Kurt doesn't want to move into that area because it seems like the most dangerous area. That's where the biggest guys are. But So he wants to run away from the pocket and throw the ball, improvising the play as he goes along. While this could be successful sometimes against inferior talent, in the long run, it's not a great way to go. A better option is to stay in the pocket and trust his coach. But he also has to trust his teammates. He wants to do it his way. But if he's going to grow to the next level, he's got to become the starting quarterback. So eventually, Kurt accepts the coach's instructions. He obeys his teaching, and then he goes through a rather rough period where he learns how to do it correctly. There are many other areas where Kurt had to grow on his path to the Super Bowl. And there were a lot of other stops along the way. 
But eventually he did make it on the roster of an NFL team, the then St. Louis Rams. But just, thank you, but just before, we got a couple of St. Louis fans, one here and one over there. Uh, but just before the season started, the starting quarterback suffered a season-ending injury. And suddenly Kurt was put in charge of an offense that was built on timing, execution, and attention to detail. All of the things that had been drilled into him throughout his career, Kurt had grown in each of those areas. So he was ready. And by listening and obeying his coach's teaching and leading and trusting in his teammates, he was able to take that team all the way to the Super Bowl, and they won Super Bowl 34. He had grown, and thus he had fulfilled his childhood dream. In a similar way, we are to grow and trust our head coach, God, to obey his teaching, to trust his plan, and to trust the other members of the team, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Nate used three other word pictures for this team last week. Uh, We talked about the bride of Christ, the temple of God, and the body of Christ. Uh, We'll talk about the body of Christ again in this message. Uh, Today's message, as I mentioned, is about growth. And growth is an interesting subject because it's got many aspects. There's natural growth. Um, We measure a baby in inches and an adult in feet. Right? I grew from a baby to my mature height, and I really had very little to do with it. Kurt grew to be six foot two and about 200 pounds. That's a really good size for an NFL quarterback. If Kurt had grown to be five foot tall, he doesn't make it. Then there's growth, which is achieved by personal work. Uh, we grow in intelligence by going to school. Right? We, we grow in talent by practicing something over and over and over again until we reach our personal maximum. In sports, they talk about this maximum. They call it an athlete's ceiling. In order for Kurt to become a professional athlete, he had to have the size, but he also had to have a very high talent level, ceiling, and he had to work at it every day. He had to keep working at it. There's also growth that occurs from being in community, Uh, We learn things that work and don't work by observing other people and listening to them. This type of growth we can consider as more is caught than taught. And while each of these areas is important, the one that we really want to talk about today is spiritual or supernatural growth. In many ways, our spiritual growth is similar to our natural growth. It begins with a birth as a newborn creation. Then we grow up through youth to an adult and being uh, mature. But we also grow outward in relationships, in community, and in culture. This growth is accomplished by a combination of the inworking of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in me, and my obedience. I'll carry the analogy just a bit further with Kurt. Kurt's growth was accomplished by the head coach working with him and with Kurt's obedience. And this leads us to our big idea for today's message. We will grow as we learn God's word and obey him. But we have a huge problem, that we're born naturally with a nature which is separated from God. We don't have the Holy Spirit. So before we talk about growing as a Christian, we have to talk about how to become a Christian. John 3.3 says this, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
So we're going to talk about a new birth. But then, is it possible for someone to be born again and not grow into the spiritually mature person that God intends? Sadly, and yes, it's possible. There are baby Christians who do not grow in any way. They get stuck. Am I more like Jesus today than I was on the day I accepted him? We're going to talk a lot about growth this morning. It's not automatic. We'll see the different ways that we grow. You'll see that God provides everything that we need to grow and become the mature person that he wants us to be. But it requires obedience on our part for that growth to happen. As I said, we're born with a sinful nature. This may seem harsh when we look at a beautiful newborn baby. But that baby inherits both a natural and a spiritual nature from their parents. And that is passed on through generations. Each of us can trace our ancestry all the way back to our original parents, Adam and Eve. They were created in the Garden of Eden in the image of God. They were without sin. They walked with God in the garden. But then they disobeyed God. God's command was to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they did. They ate of it. In doing this, they suffered the consequence, which is death, a spiritual death. And that death has been passed on through every generation to this very day. Each of us continues to sin. Who among us can faithfully obey God's commands every second of every day for their entire life? Nobody. We're guilty. We know it. We have no way to pay this penalty. And we keep on doing it. God is perfectly just. And he knows that that has to be paid. That penalty has to be paid. So he sent his only son to pay that for us. It was the only way that it was going to work. God's word says this about Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in time we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin upon himself. In doing this, we are made clean, righteous. And he did this by coming to us as a newborn baby, a new creation. And he was born spiritually alive and perfect without sin. Then he lived a life which was completely without sin by being obedient to his heavenly father. Then he freely gave himself to be scourged and crucified. And that's when the full payment occurred. He became sin for us. Matthew's gospel tells us of three hours that Jesus is on the cross and there's darkness while this is occurring. And at the end of that, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, he gives up his spirit and dies. In doing this, he paid the penalty for all sin, for all people, for all time. And then he demonstrated his victory over death by rising again on Easter morning. Now he's created a simple path for us to be reconciled to God, to change from being spiritually dead to alive in Christ. As the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come you can become a new creation in Christ. But he will not force it on you. 
The offer is there without charge. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. And there's no sin that you could commit that would prevent you from coming to the Father and accepting this gift. Come as you are, a sinner, dead in your relationship with God. You accept his gift and you become the righteousness of God. It's amazing. There isn't a formula prayer. You simply need to understand your need for his forgiveness and for this gift of life. Please, if you haven't already done so, don't wait another minute. Do it right now. This is the first step to true growth. Would you all bow your heads with me? If you'd like to accept Christ, please pray with me. Father God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I fall so far short of what you have for me. But I don't want that, Lord. I want Jesus in my life. I want the life that he promises me. I accept his payment for my sins. And I ask, Lord, that he would be my Lord and my Savior. I thank you, Lord, that you love me right where I'm at and that you're going to help me to grow, to become the person you want me to be. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift. In your name we pray, amen. You can raise your heads. If you just said that prayer, uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to help you as you take your first steps on this new path. So if you've done that, you are a new creation. You are born of the Spirit. You are a child of our Father in heaven. You're a brother or sister of Jesus Christ. But as a newborn baby, you're expected to grow. Just as we are expected to grow in God, just as we grow naturally, we're expected to grow in God. He provides all the tools to equip us to grow. He equips us with the Holy Spirit to indwell us. The Bible to teach us. Mature Christians to disciple us. Other Christians to walk alongside us. Let's take a look at each of these areas. We don't ask young people if they want to grow up. That's a given. They want to grow up to become a mature person. But we do ask them what they want to be when they grow up. We don't expect an honest answer or an accurate answer from a child. We realize that they're too young to self-assess, to understand what their uh, desires, their talents, their, their, their passions or their hopes are. But as they grow into being young adults, then we expect them to begin making changes, to strive toward creating a life that satisfies their talents, their passions. In the same way, each of us, as a child of God, will continue to grow. Just as God creates you to breathe without you having to think about it, he gives you the Holy Spirit to dwell inside you, to help you. He does this in our spiritual birth. Jesus didn't leave us alone. He gave us the Holy Spirit to be with us and to live in us, to indwell us. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17 says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Our rebirth in Christ is meant to be only the very first step in our growth. 
God will provide tools and he will help us. He's working to help us grow. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is working in our lives continuously. He is bringing us through uh, situations, relationships, troubles, and joys. In doing so, more is caught than taught. I can look back at my life and I can see times when I went through a particularly difficult trial. At the time, I didn't understand God's purpose. In fact, there were times where I wondered, where is God? But now I can look back and I can see more clearly. The Holy Spirit in me is helping me to open my eyes and to begin to understand, to grow. So, does this mean we can just sit back, relax, let God do his thing? Of course not. What if we took this approach with our children? You know, let them decide what to eat, uh, what to watch, how they spend their time, whether or not they want to go to school. No, we expect them to listen to and obey the leading and teaching of their parents. In a similar way, we as children of God are expected to listen to the teaching and leading of God through the Holy Spirit. Another way God uh, helps us with equipment is his written word. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. Very clearly, God expects each of us to spend time reading his word and putting it into practice. The Bible also is extremely important in helping us to ensure that what we're being taught is correct. It's based on God's word. It also helps us to correctly understand whether we're hearing the Holy Spirit or not. If we hear something that's not consistent with what's written in the, in the word, then we need to investigate. We need to maybe talk to some more mature Christians, get their guidance and their help. But we also need to spend time in prayer asking God to help us to understand. I'll talk about prayer in just a little bit. We on the teaching team spend a lot of time ensuring that every message that's delivered here is based on God's holy word. That it's easily understood. And hopefully it's profitable for those that are listening. It's important to remember that the Bible isn't just a bunch of stories. It's God's living word. It has power. As I said, it's the foundation of every message here at Lakeside. Take a look at Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Not reading the Bible is like taking a class and not bothering to read the textbook. In fact, it's like not even going to class to hear the lecture. Can you imagine hearing of someone like this? No. But many of us do it regularly. We go days, weeks, even months without even bothering to pick up the Bible, to read it. 
You can get some Bible teaching here on a Sunday morning, of course. But there's nothing to substitute personal alone time with God and his word. Remember, our big idea for today, we will grow as we learn God's word and obey him. Please take some time this week, pick up your Bible. If you need some guidance and help of where to get started, ask. There are Christians that would love to help you. Or get a devotional and read the scripture that's associated with it. Check to see if the writer is true to the scriptural passage. If he's not, then get rid of it and get a good one. So here's our first application question for today. What is something that I can do to make reading the Bible a reality in my life? Again, if you've not started or you need help, that devotional is a really good place to start. You can buy a book, or you can go online and search for Christian Daily Devotional. You'll see a bunch pop up. Most are designed to be about five or ten minutes long, and that includes going to the Bible, reading the verse, and I really encourage you to do that. It's easy to read the verse that's in the, in the book, but get your Bible. Read the verse. Read the things around it before and after to get a sense of what it's actually saying. Other options are to read ahead for the coming sermon series. We're going to start a sermon series in a few weeks on, on, the, on the people in the Old Testament, Elijah and Esther. If you want to read about Elijah, you can look at 1 Kings uh, chapters 17 through 19, and then the end of his life is Second uh, Kings chapters 1 and 2. Esther is a complete book in the Old Testament. It's a pretty short and interesting read. You should get it out and read it. And just as we have human parents here on earth, God desires us to have uh, spiritual parents in the body, in his family. And these are best found in a Bible-believing church. Let's read the focus verses for today's message from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the fullness of the of the, I'm sorry, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We see right away that God gave people with various gifts for helping equip his saints, us. I don't have this time this morning to go through each of those positions mentioned, those titles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But it's good enough to know that each, that each of them is a mature Christian with the ability to properly discern God's will and his word and to share it with others. These leaders are there to equip each of us for the work of of the ministry, and our ministry is building up the body of Christ. Each of us, no matter our age, our wealth, our race, our culture, are called by God to this ministry. When our daughter was a baby, we took her on regular appointments. They measured things. They measured her height and her, her weight. 
They, they measured her progress in eating and sleeping and coordination. What they were f- trying to find out is ensure that she was growing properly, that she would become a mature person. She'd get to the point where she could live her own life, make her own decisions, earn her own money. She's 29 now. She's mature. And we have a great relationship. She's still our daughter, but the relationship's changed. She's mature now. In a similar way, there are measurements that we can use. There's expectations that we are to grow to maturity, and there's measurements that we can use to guide that. They're different. Look at verse 13. It points out that there's two that here, the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God with the goal to become a mature man. By the way, that's mankind in the generic sense, so it's very much also mature womanhood. The measure of the unity of faith. Okay, that one has to do with the relationship with God and with other believers. It isn't about knowledge or doctrine. I attended the Promise Keepers gathering back in 1997 in Washington, D.C., there was a lot of stuff that was shared. There were a lot of men there. And while I remember some of the themes, quite frankly, I don't remember any of the speakers or any single thing that was said except one. There was a speaker that was speaking on the unity of faith of the body of Christ. And he stopped at one point and he asked everyone, all the men there, to call out the name of either their church or their denomination at his mark. When he did it, one, two, three, they called out, and it was like a roar that you might hear at a football game. It was muddled. It didn't make any sense. And then he asked us to name the one whom we follow at his mark. One, two, three. Everyone said, Jesus Christ. It was loud. It was clear. It was unified. There's no doubt about it. It was awesome. Chills run down my back as I say it now because I remember that's what we're talking about, the unity of faith of Jesus Christ. We're all brothers and sisters. We are to be united in faith to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are to be united in faith with every other believer. And that's not just here at Lakeside. Again, that's worldwide. The knowledge of the Son of God, that's more than just knowing about Jesus. It's getting to know him relationally. When I first came to faith, I dove into learning God's word. I listened to teaching. I attended Bible studies. I began obeying his teaching and trying to put these things into practice. But something was missing. I found it difficult to change my behavior. I was becoming frustrated. Something was wrong. So I talked to some mature Christians they wisely told me that I needed to move all that knowledge from my head to my heart. They recommended that I join a prayer group to spend more time praying and seeking to know Jesus as a person. This past summer, I did a sermon series out of, out of Proverbs about friendship. And in that sermon series, I said that Jesus is the best friend that any of us could ever have. I needed to spend more time getting to know Jesus as my very best friend. That's what we're talking about, growing in the knowledge of the Son of God, getting to know Jesus. There's many ways that we can grow with mature believers here at Lakeside. An easy way to start is simply coming here Sunday morning and being alert and ready to learn. 
it's really hard to grow if you've not got a good night's sleep or you've skipped breakfast. Another option uh, is something we call life groups. We mentioned again this morning. Uh, these are committed to meeting on a regular basis. Dave, um, Nate talked about them last week uh, in regards to connect, but we also share fellowship, meals, Bible study, prayer. They're there to help us to grow in Christ. We mentioned it already, but groups are already forming. And please, give it a try. It's a great way to grow. It's a great way to know other people. You can go to the hub and sign up, or you could talk to Phil Nicholson. He'd be help, glad to help you find a group. If you're a student, uh, you should try talk to Aaron. Uh, get involved in student ministries. It's a great way to get to know the other students and to, to do ministry that's fun and effective. Aaron would love to help you get started. So here's our application question. Who is the person or people in my life who disciple me? Who talk to me? The mature Christians that are helping me in my growth walk. If you don't have one, I've mentioned a couple there. But there's others. Pray. Ask around. Seek God. Maybe even approach a more mature Christian and ask them. It's a powerful way to grow in faith, not only with each other, but with Jesus. There's one other area that we need to explore. It's growing with other Christians. While it's good and important for us to grow as individuals, uh, that's, not, that's only a small part of it. While God is definitely interested in my life and how it goes, it's only a very small part of his larger plan. God designed for us to live in communion with him and with other believers. The Bible uses the metaphor of the body for a reason in describing the family structure. Each of us is completely unique and necessary for the body to work properly. Remember Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, we just read it. It calls us to grow up into the part of the body. In this body, Jesus is the head. He leads, he guides, he's the one that's responsible for making sure that all the rest of us are working properly. Each of us is joined together with God and with each other. Again, this isn't just Lakeside, this is all believers worldwide for all time. We're part of the body of Christ. Again, we see that word equipped. Jesus is providing everything that we could possibly need to grow up and become a functioning part of that body. But look closely at verse 16, how each part has its responsibility to work properly. You only do that by practicing it and by growing. And, each, and the purpose of the growth, it's to build itself up in love. We are to work properly so that our body of Christ, this church and all churches worldwide, can grow in love. We are to mature and become a part of the body that God has designed. The big idea for today also works for the body of Christ. We will grow as we learn God's word and obey him. I'm a member of the teaching team, and I can assure you that everyone on that team is different, and everyone brings something different to the table. And while that message is important here, it's not the most important thing or the best thing or the only thing. It's only a small part of the working of the body of Christ. We have greeters and teachers, tech people and singers, and the ever-important brewers of coffee. Thank you. 
There's many more than I can begin to count. Each is important. You are important. God's also given us some keys to use with all this equipment. The keys help us to unlock the potential of the equipment. Ignoring the keys will sometimes stunt, even stop the growth. The first and most important key is prayer. Prayer is taking advantage of the fact that you are a child of our Heavenly Father. As a child, you can go to him at any time and talk to him. You can ask him for advice, provision, help, insight. You can ask him for anything, really. He's a loving father, and he wants to give you the very best that he can for you. But there are times that he won't. It's important to keep this in mind. There may be times when you ask for something that's not good for you or isn't part of his plan. He knows what's good for you. Would you really expect a loving father to give his child something that wasn't good for them? Of course not. When I was 16, I desperately wanted a motorcycle. (laughs) My two older brothers already had them, and I considered it a rite of passage. So I went and I looked. I found one that was in pretty good shape. The price was good. I could afford it. And I asked Dad and Mom if I could buy it. I was shocked when they said no. (laughs) It wasn't right. They were being mean. How dare they? Don't they understand how important this is? I was so upset that I didn't even listen or understand the reasoning behind saying no. But I eventually saw that they were right. I hadn't grown in my ability. They said that I was too impulsive, that I took too many chances. Maybe. I wasn't properly able to handle a car, let alone a motorcycle. The funny thing is that my older brother, Mike, he allowed me to take his motorcycle for a test drive. So I took it out on M25, which is the shoreline road around the Thumb, uh, right along Lake Huron. And boy, did I absolutely hate that experience. Ah, the wind's whipping my shirt, bugs hitting me in the face, my helmet's pushed back, the chin straps digging into me, and I was constantly aware that there was nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing between me and those big cars. I had asked my parents for something which wasn't good for me. They'd said no. In a similar way, our Heavenly Father will say no to requests that he knows isn't the best for us. Prayer also helps us to get quiet and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Like any other person, you have to spend time with them to form a relationship with them. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's also God. He'll help guide you. He'll instruct you. He'll correct you if you're willing to listen. We finished a whole sermon series this past spring on the Holy Spirit. I really encourage you to go back and review it. There's a lot of stuff there. Prayer helps us with reading the Bible. You should always read the Bible before, during, and after you read a section. Talk to God. Ask him to open your eyes and help you understand it and apply it to your life. Prayer is important for our spiritual lives with other believers, whether they're mature or, or, or not. We can pray for God to heal them, to help them, to guide them, to comfort them. And because as a child of God, I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I can pray with great power. 
Because see, it's not me doing the action. It's God. God is the one who will act. But God can do anything, but he will only do what is in his good, perfect, just, and loving will. The application question for this section is simple. What is keeping me from a fuller prayer life? What can I do to move past it? If you think you don't have time, it's because you didn't make time. If you have time to check out the latest TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, or sports score, then you have time for prayer. Start at 10 minutes and move from there. Set a timer. Give yourself a reminder every day to pray. Get in the habit of doing it. And if you miss a day or two, okay, it's fine. Start again. Keep going. Some people stop praying when they feel guilty or condemned. Or others because they've been hurt or because God didn't answer prayer the way they wanted. But you're turning your back on the one who's there to help you. He can help bring comfort to an area that's painful. He's there for you always. You can go back to him. One last thing on prayer. Form is not important. Your heart is. Don't worry if it's not pretty. God already knows that. Talk to him. And as you talk to him more and more, he'll change your heart. He'll help you. So we've discussed all this equipment. And we've discussed ways in which God gives us these keys. But all of that is useless unless you use it. We need to be obedient to God's leading and teaching, to, uh, to those that he's put in authority over us. We need to be obedient to God's truth and reject the lies of the world. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We are called to obedience. A child's natural passion will be to eat only goodies and and to do what they want, but that's not good for them. In similar ways, it's the same with us. We have to say no to the passions of of the world, the things that make us feel good or they're spiritually unhealthy for us. His goal is pretty amazing. He wants us to grow in holiness, to be holy just as he is holy. He warns us against conformity. To conform means to go along with or to adapt to the passions of the world. Think of the force of peer pressure. It's used to get people to all become the same. But if we become the same, then you stop being you. There's no room for you to be you. It's a huge problem in the body of Christ. Conformity allows us to look like we're a good Christian, but our heart is far from God. Remember, you're a new creation. You're not like you were before you knew Christ. His desire for you is not conformity, but transformation. Read Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We begin by offering our very selves as a spiritual sacrifice to God. This is holy and acceptable to him. This is our spiritual act of worship. 
And he clearly commands us not to be conformed, but to be transformed and to do this through the renewing of our mind. He does that for us. So all of that equipment, it's not so that we can look like good Christians. It's so that we can become the person that God has designed for us to be. In other words, obedience isn't simply following a set of rules. True obedience flows out of a heart that's focused on loving God. This obedience is found in our big idea for today. We will grow as we learn God's word and obey him. Finally, it seems obvious, but there's a danger in refusing to obey and follow God's precepts. If it's true that God's desire for us is based on his perfect love, then why do I want something that's less than it? Why do I want to go for things that I think would satisfy and fulfill me, but they never did? We are born with a new as a new creation. We're born with a new nature. But we still have our old flesh and our old nature. And those two, the old flesh, old nature, and the new being, are at odds with each other 100% of the time. It's a fight, the old versus the new. Let me be real clear here. I'm not speaking of our salvation. That's complete when the Holy Spirit enters your heart. I'm speaking in the way that we live our lives, the choices we make, the path that we follow. Every choice has a consequence. Some consequences um, are good and right. Other consequences are wrong, possibly harmful. We need to avoid those. Look at, again at Ephesians 4, verses 14 and 15. If we aren't obedient to the leading of God, then we can't uh, understand the direction or understand whether or not we're being taught the truth. We fall victim to scams and lies. There are a lot of people who are following teachers that are false. They're, they look like Christians, but they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And what they're saying is at odds with God's word. We are to be equipped so that we no, may no longer be children. Doesn't that just make sense? Who here wants their child to remain naive? To trust anyone and every, anything that comes along? Nobody. And yet that's exactly where we end up if we don't start growing, if we don't use the tools that God has provided for us. The sad and tragic truth, we've mentioned it, is that there are many people who are not growing in any way. They're not growing in the Holy Spirit, the Bible. Mature believers are walking with other Christians. They're not using prayer. They're not being obedient. Take some time today to do self-assessment. Ask yourself this question. Am I growing in my relationship with Jesus? Am I more spiritually mature now than I was one year ago? This one requires you to be honest with yourself. Look at these tools. Are you using them more today than you were a year ago? And are you using them correctly with a heart for God? If the answer is no, don't be afraid of the truth. Just confess it to God. Ask him to help you and then start. Change your path by changing one thing and start doing that. Look, we, we have uh, application questions every week here at Lakeside. Don't just hear them. Act on them. Use them. Verse 15 says it clearly. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. In doing this, we become mature and grow out of the naivety of childhood. Let's review our application questions for today. What is something that I can do to make reading the Bible a reality in my life? Maybe just pick it up and start.
Who is the person or the people in my life who disciple me? Find these people that will help you. What is keeping me from a fuller prayer life? What can I do to move past it? Again, start. Am I growing in my relationship with Jesus? Am I more spiritually mature than I was one year ago? And if I might add one final application, are you functioning in the body of Christ? If not, what action will you take to begin? Dave Rolfe will be teaching next week on service and what it means to be a good servant in the body of Christ. And please know that functioning in the body of Christ isn't just here at Lakeside. We are to be functioning for Jesus all the time. I'm not there yet, but that doesn't mean I don't want to be. My hope and prayer is that I continue to grow and mature until the very instant I take my last breath here on earth and my first breath in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your gifts. We thank you for this equipment, and we ask that you forgive us for the times that we've ignored it, that we haven't used it. But Father, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Father, you forgive us. You're there for us. You're not condemning us. You're encouraging us. Lord, this message is meant to be an encouragement to grow, not a condemnation. So Father, I pray that you encourage each of us to continue growing. Maybe we've grown and we've plateaued and it's time to grow again. But Father, we give it to you and we ask that you lead and guide us. Thank you for, for all the tools, all the gifts, all the ways that you've poured into us for your Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. Thank you again for your grace and your mercy and for your son, Jesus. We pray this in your name.